I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Terry Connor to my Mick McCarthy. It's Justin Peach. That's finally a compliment I can get on board with because Mick McCarthy cannot function without Terry Connor. So finally get some recognition. Justin, I'm always complimenting you. Don't put yourself down like that. How are you doing? I'm tip top. I'm very good. Thank you. How are you? I'm fantastic, thank you. We're joined on the show today by <laughs> Jacob Robinson from the Norwich podcast Canary Cast. Jacob, you all right? Yeah, I'm buzzing. Last time I came on, I think it was just after Swansea. I was having a mini breakdown, thinking we're going to bottle it. And now, <laughs> since then, I think we've won seven in a row and we're going to win the league. <laughs> uh, and another guest who will also be very happy is Carlo van der Watering from the Barnsley podcast, Res Reports. Carlo, how are you doing? Uh, it's seventh heaven, mate. Is that too corny to start with or can I get it out of the way now? <laughs> nice, absolutely fine. We're all here for positivity on the Second Tier Podcast. You are listening to the biggest championship-specific podcast, the Second Tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. We're going to go through all the games from the weekend in the championship and then finish off with some news as well. But we'll start off with the champions-elect, Norwich City. They beat Luton 3-0 at Carrow Road. How was the game, Jacob? It seemed to be a walk in the park for Daniel Farkas, man. Yeah, first 10 minutes were tricky. Luton pressed quite high and we were a little bit uh, kind of slow out of the blocks, gave him a couple of opportunities. James Collins hit the post and then it was as easy as a nice little triangular passing, which if anyone's watched Norwich this season, is very regular in our in our style. Todd Campbell laid it off to Timu Puki, who is, yeah, in a real Rick Tray vein of form. And that's, yeah, 20 goals now for the season, which is brilliant for him. You know, at the start of the season, people were writing him off saying, after the, the poor back end of the Premier League season, we're not sure if he's going to get those 20 goals. Yeah, including you. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, it was it was a good, good performance. It looked very much like a Premier League-ready team against the mid-championship uh, side, really, which was brilliant to see, nice and comfortable. Yeah, Justin, from a Luton perspective, they were outclassed by a better side, really, weren't they? They weren't, as as Jacob mentioned, you know, other than the first 10 minutes, I, you know, I thought Luton were okay. And then, then as soon as Norwich get into gear, it, it can be frightening, especially when you're a team that are a mid-table side. They don't necessarily have the quality that other championship sides have. It can be scary. I think if Luton do go 1-0 up, it does change the fabric of the game because they're very good at keeping 1-0, 1-0 leads away from home. But it wasn't to be, and obviously Norwich then punished them. Yeah, Jacob, Norwich have got 11 games left of the season. 10 points clear of Watford in second. Do you think you're as good as promoted or are you still staying cautious? Yeah, I'm going to stay cautious until it's done, to be honest with you, because, uh, you know, social media is a horrible place, which can be clipped up very well. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to say we're looking very, very good. It, we said after the, Swan- or after the Swansea result, if, if Emmy Buendia stays fit for 
when it was then 17 games, we go up. He had a bit of a quad injury yesterday, it looked like. He was not at 100%, so hopefully he stays nice and rested. But it is as simple as that. If he stays fit for the remaining 11, I think we probably need about five more wins now to secure top two, which should easily be done in the next, hopefully, few games because there's teams that are really low on form and then we've got quite a tricky running. But um, all in all, I think with everyone else dropping points in there and everywhere, I, I think we're good enough to be able to do it. But yeah, we'll we'll keep hesitant for now, but it looks very good. Yeah, well, I'll admit I have my doubts about Norwich because defensively they were giving away plenty of chances earlier in the season, but they've really tightened up at the back and then going forwards. You've somehow managed to get even more <laughs> clinical than you were before, which is very impressive. I didn't think they would go up and there you go. I was wrong. Um, you put out a tweet this week, Jacob, talking about player of the season for Norwich. Mm. Obviously, it's Brendia, uh, it's Brendia, isn't it? I mean, but here's a question for you. Who would you have as Norwich's second best player of the season and why? Oh, it's so tricky. You've got you've got a couple there. I think you've got to give shout outs to Max Aarons, which it is now instead of Aarons. He's changed oh. his pronunciation. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a, an annoying one, actually. I don't know why it's annoying, but I'd prefer Aaron to Aarons. But anyway, He's played every single game. Ollie Skip has obviously been incredible, transformed that CDM role and looks Premier League ready. Todd Campbell's played well in parts. You've got to give him a mention. Kenny McLean's in the season of his life. But for me, it's got to be Ben Gibson. We said on our podcast when we were in the Prem in the January window, we need someone who would come in and stay, uh, make that defence a hell of a lot more stable. And we get said Ben Gibson, you know, he was at Burnley, who it just wasn't working for him. And at Middlesbrough, we saw him linked to the likes of Chelsea and big clubs. You know, he was called up for England and we thought, yes, this is the man. And then it came to the summer and we got him. We thought, you know what, this is a real snippet if he can find form. And he's not really made a mistake, to be honest with you. Um, he looks like a really top-end championship um, centre-back. It'll be interesting to see what he's like next year. He's slightly slower than Grant Hanley, so that'll be interesting. But no, all in all, he's passed from the back. He's replaced a a £25 million player in Ben Godfrey and actually improved our defence. We've only conceded 25 goals. So no, for me, it would be Ben Gibson, but there's so many shout-outs you could go with. Obviously, Pookie as well with 20 goals. Yeah, and the thing is with Gibson as well, he barely played for Burnley mm. towards the end. I, I, I don't know the figures off the top of my head, but we're talking single figures, a handful of games that he played in the space of a couple of seasons. So the fact that he's managed to come straight to this Norwich side and play pretty much every game is impressive. Uh, the Barnsley juggernaut continues to power through anything in its wake. Seventh straight win for Barnsley after be after they beat Birmingham 1-0. Carlo, how was it? Seemed to be a game of few chances. Um, it was. It's 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 weird because we just wanted we just wanted Barnsley to compete in this league and not just survive on the last day of the season. Makes a brilliant podcast and great sort of like watch alongs, but it does your heart no good when you you know when you're getting to fifty. Um, and they've just done so much more. And yesterday it wasn't pretty. Uh, Birmingham certainly didn't make it easy. Um, and it just took a moment of I can't say brilliance, but I suppose you know real power from his. Uh, from his from his right peg, from DK to put it because when he took the shot, I thought, "What are you doing?" Um, and and the commentator, I is, you know, the one thing you want is a striker. When you're in that position, is 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 power. That's the only thing that will beat the keeper, and and that's that's what it did. Um, and I think the strength in Barnsley is now that we're not just relying on Woodrow to score goals. We've got a front six, and it's three of six, and most of the time Ismail will make a change and he'll take three off and put the other three on. 
And it's um, it's a weird sort of formula, formula, but it it seems to be working for us. Yeah, well, I wanted to stick with DK actually because he got the goal as you mentioned. Possibly one of the cleanest strikes of a football. I've ever seen Neil Etheridge is lucky he didn't get in the way because otherwise he'd have gone <laughs> into the goal with the ball. <laughs> DK joined from Orlando City over in America in January and he's got three goals in his last four games. I just want to ask you how he's looked. He, he was the sort of striker that we were uh, shouting out for. We needed a physical striker that could cause defences a few problems because Corley Woodrow is a different type of striker. Corley Woodrow needs the ball at his feet and create space and, and have a shot. Um, like many Barnsley fans, when we signed him, um, Wikipedia, uh, Transfer Market, all these other sites come out to say, oh, we bought. Um, he came on, um, I think it was against Chelsea, wasn't it, in the in the FA Cup on the Thursday as he signed on the Tuesday or something. Um, that, that was difficult. That's a difficult match. But since then, he not really looked back. Um, he's, he's been an incredible signing. Um, Orlando fans uh, can't wait for him to go back. Um, well, that's not going to happen, is it? <laughs> there, is a, there, is a, there is a fee agreed, apparently. Now, if you look at the UK papers, that's a fee of around about £2 million. If, you, if you look at the US papers, it's £20 million. But I think that was still under the Trump uh, administration, so we'll just ignore that anyway. So, uh, yeah, I, I, about £2 million, I think they said. So, um, yeah, he's, he's done really well. And he's only 21, I think, isn't he? So he's got plenty of potential as well. Um, well, Barnsley are absolutely flying, sat in sixth, looking on course for a playoff place at the moment, Carlo? Yeah, it's a weird one, isn't it? Um, I, I said before I did an interview, somebody said, will you be disappointed if you don't reach the playoffs? Of course you'll be disappointed because, mm. well, you're in there now, aren't you? But that doesn't make it a disappointing season. Um I said before, I want us to compete, not just survive. That That has to be the number one aim. Uh, the goal for the club is always, you know, main, maintain your position in, or maintain the status of, of, of championship. Um, our, our running is... We've still got to play the bottom four. That doesn't make it easy matches, it don't. But I've, I've just had a look. And if you look at teams that have, have won three out of the last six, there's only seven out of 24. So it's... it's Norwich are obviously doing extremely well. You know, we're on a really, really good run. We actually play Norwich the, the last day of Not the season. <laughs> so, wow. obviously, you know, various crates of, of numerous brands of lager, beer and vodka will be sent once they get promoted. Uh, <laughs> and they can't open it until the night before the playoffs. Um, but, no, well, I, I think with some sides struggling for consistency, that's the one thing we've got. So, yeah, I think where we are now, we've got our game in hand to play on Wednesday, which is, which is Derby at home. And then I think psychologically, if we win that game at hand, we've got Bournemouth up next. That's not going to be easy. But even if we lose, they can't go above us. So I think psychologically that will that will help. Yeah. Well, for Birmingham, Justin, they've played all right recently. But I thought this performance was really a step back because they barely had a sight at goal all game. And the table doesn't make for great reading either, does it? It doesn't. When Rotherham are breathing down your neck, it's 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 a bit of a concern. They've still got games in hand, even more games in hand now. So if they get a run of form going, it's going to drag Birmingham into the bottom three and potentially other clubs into it. And going into the game against Barnsley, I thought they were they were poor, as you say, a step back other than the Harley Dean header in the first five minutes and even Sanchez screwing his shot wide in the 95th minute. Birmingham offered absolutely nothing. No, you're absolutely right. Jacob, Carlo, thank you for now. We'll, of course, come back to you both a bit later on when we play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. For now, though, listener, let me and Justin take you on a trip around the grounds and we shall begin at the Medeski Stadium where there was a spanking as Reading beat Wednesday 3-0. It's a result that means the Owls are really staring down the barrel now. Dan Fudge is from the Wednesday Week podcast. 
Dan, where do we start? I don't know where to start with the game yesterday. I think, I think you know, if, if I'd have had my head screwed on, I don't expect much at Red in there going to coin a phrase, great guns right now. Um, but the the loss against Rotherham in midweek was a was a big one. And if uh, if some of our fans didn't think we were going down then, then the Reading one would have solidified this uh, yesterday. Um, the the appointment of Darren Moore uh, was an odd one for me, but I'm sure we'll get into that. But yeah, yesterday was um, was a difficult pill to swallow because of the limp, lifeless, destitute performance that we put in. You know, I mean, it was terrible. Yeah, this result really leaves Wednesday staring down the barrel. I've seen plenty of Wednesday fans saying they're virtually down now. Are you going as far as that? I'd be naive to think otherwise, if I'm honest. I, you know, <laughs> the five stages of um, of grief are, are the last one's acceptance, and uh, and I think that's uh, that's that's where we all need to be right now, because I I, I can't see it going any other way. You know, we've got the worst record in about six different disciplines in the uh, in the league you know red cards shots on goal shots on target we are just absolutely abject at the minute and i think the bitterest pill to swallow is that you know we're probably going to go down and the six point deficit that we've got won't have really made a difference considering what we've just said this week darren moore was appointed the new wednesday manager do you think that's an appointment with a view towards being in league one next season that's really weird you've said that because I got pelters on Twitter for saying the same thing. I think the whole appointment, once you die down the euphoria of that we've stolen Don best, Doncaster's best manager in a number of years and uh, we've stolen it from a local uh, local rival and all the rest of it, I think the, the appointment itself reeks of League One. I mean, unless you'd been offered a decent wedge to stay up, why would you have gone to that club? Why would you have taken that job? And the irony of the fact that Doncaster can leapfrog us is, isn't wasted on me. Um, I feel that the whole appointment does reek of pre- preparing ourselves for uh, for League One football, I'm afraid. And finally, Dan, with Wednesday seemingly on their way to League One, I've seen plenty of Wednesday fans pointing the finger at Chancery for the way things have gone. Um, do you blame him for what's happened? And do you think anything's going to change while he's still at the club? I've still not played the Chancery out card like many of my uh, brotherhood fraternity on 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 the social media is that the reason being is that the guy you know for all intents and purposes is minted the issue is that here you know in in football you get surrounded by people who are unscrupulous uh, as, as it were and uh, what happened is you know he's he's got the guy Amadou Paxau who's got his claws right into him and we are signing his managers we are signing his players you know we've got Doyen Sports on the other side he has been terribly advised now that doesn't mean that Chansiri himself hasn't got something to answer to the issue being is that we don't have a CEO we don't have a, a marketing manager we don't have somebody in charge of catering literally you have the supervisor that writes the rotors uh, at the uh, at the pie uh, stand and then Chansiri above him so can I move the Henderson's relish to the left? You have to email Chancery. And his um, his presence isn't there. He lives in Thailand, for God's sake. So he's not there enough to answer these questions. So we need somebody in charge running the club while he isn't there instead of him having this entire tight screw on, on everything. It, it's starting to get embarrassing. Cheers, Dan. Two things I really enjoyed from this game, Justin. First off was Julian Borner getting sent off in the 29th minute. As he walks off, he does a 
Hulk Hogan style tear of the shirt, which was fantastic. I think I speak for both of us when I say the second tier podcast wholeheartedly endorses players doing that more often. And the second thing I really enjoyed, which is a perfect summary of Sheffield Wednesday at the moment. They've got a free kick on the edge of the box. It's 1-0 at this point, so it's a great chance to get back in the game. Josh Windass steps up to take it and smashes it straight into Callum Patterson's groin. It might be my favourite thing to ever happen in the Championship, Justin. But the game itself, very one-sided, as you might imagine, especially with Wednesday being down to 10 men for two-thirds of the game. It's their sixth straight loss, and it's looking increasingly more difficult to see Wednesday staying up. I do feel like that 2-0 lead against Luton was a bit of a turning point for Wednesday because they played really well in that first half and then they dropped the points in the second half at the flip of a switch. And it's got progressively worse since then. Obviously, the Rotherham game isn't, wasn't ideal, losing it in the, the manner they did again. And then the way they lost this game was just awful. The defending from Bournemouth was just so desperate and stupid. You know, you're more likely to, to win a game with 11 players on the pitch or get back into a game with 11 players on the pitch. But when you decide to do that, the, what he did to Puskas was just ridiculous. And I think that, like the, like the groin punt from on, on, on Colin Patterson, it just sums up, sums up the season really well. It does. Even if you ignore the fact that their form is terrible at the moment, they're seven points from safety now and Rotherham can easily extend that gap if they make the most of their games in hand. Uh, and then they've got a horrible run of games coming up. Four out of the next five games are against sides eighth or above in the table. Um, it's worth remembering, as I think Dan just quite rightly pointed out, that even if they didn't have the points deduction, they'd still be in the relegation zone. So it's not like Wednesday don't deserve to go down. And I think at this point, it's a big ask for Wednesday to even get close to staying up now, isn't it? Take a miracle. It'll take a miracle. I, I, Darren Moore's a really good appointment as well. And it's, I, I, I do, I would like to think that there was a, a sort of a scope on next season hit for him coming in. Yeah. Because the whole squad needs going out and it needs reshaping. The whole club needs reshaping and reorganising. There's just so much wrong with it. Darren Moore's the only thing that's right with it. Yeah, that's a very good assessment, really. Hard to read too much in this into this game from a Reading perspective because Wednesday were there for the taking, really, but Reading did a professional job, didn't they? They did, but it's it's three wins in three. It's three clean sheets in a row as well, and you've got players coming back into form at the right time. You look at Puskas, for example. You know, he, he comes in... Uh, in the week and puts one away quite quite nicely and he, he was in good form again today Lucas Shaw got back on the score sheet just to summarise Puskas by the way he was livid at Tom McIntyre I think it was Tom McIntyre um, or Lewis Gibson I get them two mixed up uh, well basically one of them took a shot when they could have squared it and he bellowed it was so loud he was so angry that the boy didn't come to him and that's what you want you want your strikers demanding chances on the plate they're coming into. They, everyone's coming back into form. The players coming back from injury. Andy Eden returned as well. It's a good. It's a good time to be, be coming back into form, as I say. Bournemouth and Cardiff drawing as well has also made their position in the playoffs look a bit more comfortable. They've now got a four-point safety cushion. Uh, but there was utter chaos at the Liberty Stadium in the game between Swansea and Middlesbrough. Swansea won two-one, but there were two massive refereeing decisions which went against Borough. And Neil Warnock was not too chirpy <laughs> after the game. Neither was Johnny Bullock from the Borough Breakdown podcast. Johnny, what did you make of the officiating in this game? <laughs> uh, 10 out of 10, wasn't it? 10 out of 10 for Gavin Ward. Um, but seriously, mate, 
I can't believe those decisions yesterday. Um, they're really frustrating and they've pretty much ended Borough's hopes for the, the playoffs this season. Um, how the referee can give a free kick to Swansea on the first goal is mystifying. Um, and then the second one, really, the, the penalty, it, at the time, it didn't look like a penalty at all from, obviously, the TV. From where the referee seeing it, he might, you can see why he's given it. But for a lot, prolonged period of time, he's given a corner, given a corner, and then after like 10 seconds, 10, 15 seconds, he goes, ah, you know what, maybe it's a penalty now. It's just so frustrating. It's just so frustrating to watch. Um, but yeah, it's just the EFL officiating, mate. We all know it's a shambles and it just needs to improve, doesn't it? Well, both of the decisions were a shambles, weren't they? Particularly the second one. If the referee is giving a corner and then suddenly decides, actually, this might be a penalty, then he's not 100% sure whether he's got the right decision. And you can't be giving a penalty in the last minute of the game, if you're not 100% sure. Yeah, try telling uh, Gavin Ward that, to be honest, mate. To be honest, when I'm looking at the decision and he's given a corner, it's clearly the linesman has some has said something, you know, or the appeal has gotten the decision. I don't know why he's changed his mind. I'm not Gavin Ward, so I can't really vouch for him. But for me, it's never a penalty and... Ah, it's just, it's just a shambles. It's just an absolute shambles. And I can totally understand why Warnock's frustrated. I can totally understand why the staff and the players have all came online to vent the frustrations. It's brought everyone together in, in a positive way. But in terms of the, the decision, mate, it's just... He's not 100% sure and he shouldn't have given it in the first place. But you can't change it now, can you? Yeah, well, as you mentioned, this pretty much means Middlesbrough's playoff hopes are over now. But you have had some good news over the past few days. Neil Warnock has signed a new deal until the end of next season. You must be pretty happy with that. Yeah, the playoffs are dead now, aren't they? Uh, it'll take a miracle for us to get into the playoffs now. But for it gives us a good opportunity to flesh out and, and try out some of the young players. We've got Sam Falarin, who came through this year. We've got Connor Malley went in the wings with, with Isaac Fletcher and Hayden Hackney as well. We've got some really, really good talent coming through and that's probably more exciting to me than our chances this year as a promotion because this year was pretty much a free hit. Next year with Warnie signing a new deal, I think promotion is pretty much the the goal in mind now. And so we're all delighted that Warnie signing a new deal. It just means we're all horny for Warnie for another year. So yeah, our future's very bright at Borough and it's good to have a, a big perspective on it. Um, yes, yesterday was really crap, but... The future of Borough, it can be very bright. Thanks, Johnny. I think we both know where we've got to start here, Justin. The first decision was Yannick Balassi tackling Jay Fulton and Mark Bollas smashed it home. But the referee gives a foul, even though Balassi has clearly got the ball. Yeah, it's a strange one. You can only think that he's given it because Balassi bumped knees with Fulton on the way down to the tackle. So you can only think he's, he's seen it there. This is why I think referees justifying some decisions would help. I remember like 10, 10 or 15 years ago when Norwich were in the Premier League for the first time, Phil Morine scored a screamer after it hit the referee's back. Like it hit the referee's back and it set him up for a volley and he, he shot and he scored. Well, the referee came out and apologised after. He said he should have stopped play. It needs a bit of that coming into the modern game and it seems we've got so far away from that. But then again, the decision, the decision was... Not a good one. No, it's really bad. And the fact, the worst thing is, it's happened right in front of the referee as well. Yeah, he could not yeah. be better placed 
but he's somehow still seen that as a foul. And then the second one is just, I mean, wow. 95th minute penalty is given for a foul by George Saville. So the tackle goes in and, and initially the referee gives a corner, but then changes his mind and gives a penalty. Now, this one isn't as clear cut as the other tackle, but I'd say it's 70% a fair challenge. However, and this goes back to what I was saying about the last penalty in the Swansea game in midweek. If you're giving a 95th minute penalty, as a referee, you have got to be 100% that it's a penalty. And the fact he's given a corner initially shows he's obviously not 100%, is he? I actually have a lot of praise here for the referee. I think he... Yeah, I do. I do. I think he's... I know he's he's pointing to the corner, but... It's better than just being dead air and a lot of uncertainty and then players will start to influence your decision. I think he's taking the time to go, actually, there is contact there. Because the way Savile's dived in, he's left a lot of he's left a lot open there for the referee to give the decision. It wasn't a, I don't think it was a good tackle. Again, really? he's come from, Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Savile's come from behind, he's given the referee a decision to make at that point in the game as well. Things you know, perhaps they do escalate and they do sort of get into the referees' minds a bit, but I, I, I think the referee's done a good job there. I actually I really, really do. And I, I I think I will get flack for that. But he's not he's not jumped to a conclusion. He, he I think he is hundred percent sure that, that is a penalty. So yeah, I will praise the referee for that for that moment. I think you are completely wrong. <laughs> I think you are also in a very small minority that think the referee has done the right thing there, but you're entitled to your opinion. I think the other thing is as well, the referee's given a corner so he clearly thought Savile got the ball initially. So I, I just no, I just don't no. understand it. I, I have no idea what what's going on there. But well, unfortunately, this once again means we're having to bring up the standard of officiating in the championship, Dustin. Um, obviously, you don't agree necessarily with the second decision, but either one of these decisions could be classed as embarrassing. It is. I think I, I, I think it is embarrassing, mainly because... I just feel like the support network for referees isn't there as well. You know, we don't get any explanation from the the governing bodies of the referees, the organisations that that set the rules. I read an article at the weekend from Lee Probert. You know, he used to referee in the Premier League. Yeah. He actually retired a couple of years ago. I had no idea. I thought he was still refing. Um, but he be, he summed it up nicely that the rules are all over the place, which which what makes VAR hard to watch. The rules are all over the place, and referees aren't getting as much of a break either the 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 intense schedule also influences them it it affects them you know they don't get time to rest they get time to group together and get training etc there's a lot that goes into it Um, and I don't think as supporters as podcasters we don't see any of that and I think it's I don't I'm not saying we should give referees a break but we should bring that into our mindsets when we see these big decisions get missed because there's a lot of big decisions that have been missed this season and I think a large portion of that has been because of fatigue and lack of training and lack of feedback. I don't know. It's, uh, it feels like there's a lot going into it. It's a fair point. I made a joke on the second tier Twitter last night about referees giving Swansea last minute penalties and then just being so desperate to do it. Obviously, I was just joshing with you Swansea fans. <laughs> don't worry about it. It is interesting with Swansea, though, because they've had a few questionable performances recently. But they're still winning the majority of the games and the table is looking very good from their their perspective. They're just one point behind Watford in second, got two games in hand. They're in the driving seat for second place, aren't they? 
They are, and I think this game, as you say, the performance haven't, haven't been great. I thought Borough were the better side in the second half. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, Swansea kept plugging away. I think if Savile doesn't make that tackle, there's a clear... I can't remember who he tackled, but there's a clear shot Bidwell. for him. Bidwell. There's a clear shot for Bidwell, and whether or not whether or not he gets the ball is another question, because if he's shanked it wide, it's definitely a penalty. Um, so... Yeah, they're obviously still plugging away. They've got a lot of experience. They just need to get out the other side of this slumping performances, really, because as as we've said, performances haven't been good enough. Mm. Well, it's been a good few days for Coventry. They're reportedly about to announce they'll be playing at the Rico Arena again next season. More on that a bit later on. But they also got a massive 1-0 win in a relegation battle. Six-pointer with Derby. Jerry Crone is from the Coventry podcast, Neil Lampsey. Jerry, how was the game? Um, I thought it was two bald fellas fighting over a comb. I think we, I think we were we were awful, but we were gifted a goal by Derby, and they didn't take any of the chances that we gifted them. Ultimately, I've been quite surprised by how bad they've been in the last couple of games. They seem to gamble last in midweek, uh, in the expectation that they might be able to rest players to make sure that they beat us yesterday, and then they lost both of those games, which is fantastic news. Well, it was a massive win, wasn't it? Because if you hadn't have got it, then you'd have been looking over your shoulder a bit. In terms of the relegation battle, are you feeling more and more confident about Coventry staying up? It sounds daft to say, but I honestly don't believe we've got that much of a hand of whether we stay up or go down this season. I think whether we go down will be determined solely by what happens to either Rotherham, Birmingham or Huddersfield. I think... There's a lot of teams in awful, awful form. And I think that one of those teams will still be able to stay up without improving slightly because I think that one team out of the four will just capitulate and barely get any points between now and the end of the season. Sheffield Wednesday look like they're now going to need a miracle to stay up. Wickham, obviously, even worse. So I think... I said last week that I was convinced we were going down and then all of a sudden... We've got a glimmer of hope here. But yeah, I don't think it will be because of anything that happens with us. I think it will need somebody to have a worse run than us until the end of the season. Yeah, I think you're pretty much spot on there, Jerry. Um, Finally, Coventry reportedly going back to the Rico Arena. Just give us an idea as a Coventry fan how much it means for the football club to be playing back in Coventry. It's a good question, that is. I'm not totally sure how to answer it or whether I'm the best person for answering it. What I would say ultimately is that it's where we should be. It's where all football fans, or more importantly football clubs, I guess, should be in their home city, shouldn't they? So I don't know about what it... I I can't give you an answer that says it would mean everything to me, like I'm hoping you're going to pick me for the X Factor, but it's just wrong. It's just we shouldn't be playing in Birmingham and we shouldn't be you know, in Northampton when we were. We shouldn't have had all of the other stuff that have happened over the last 15 years, but then that's life, isn't it, I suppose? Thank you, Joey. Yeah, I think he's right, isn't he? Even though Coventry are still very much in a relegation battle, for me, there are at least three teams worse than them in the Championship, maybe even four or five. Yeah, spot on. I, there's there's a lot to like about Coventry. Not only is it the way they play, but the consistency of the the players that they've got as well you know Darber right wing back is a fantastic right wing back and I don't want to say he's not going to be there for very long but his performances justify a, a big move somewhere um, and it's the same with the likes of Callum O'Hare you know they're a team that have a lot of value in their squad and that's down to 
Mark Robbins, it's down to the consistency, it's down to the style of play. There's a lot there's a lot to like about them. And in this game especially, someone like Matty James who's experienced was a you know, he's he's proved to be a great pickup because he's alongside the industry that Kelly brings and the guile that um, Gustavo Hamer has. It's a wonderfully balanced central midfield and that's that's where I think it, it, it stems from for me because we know the, the the back line as well can make a few errors. Yeah, it's it's a young side, isn't it? And they have mm-hmm. got some very good players, the likes of Hamer, uh, Biamu, Walker, O'Hare, all players who are early 20s and having a good seasons in their own rights, really. Um, mm-hmm. And they play nice football as well. Mark Robbins has done a fantastic job. I'll be very surprised if they went down this season. This table's still a bit threatening, but again, there are, there are worse teams than Coventry City. Having said all that about a Coventry style of play, this game wasn't a classic, was it, Justin? Matt Clark no. had a good chance for Derby. BMU had Coventry's only real big chance, which he scored from, and that was about it, really. Yeah, I don't really want to do a Coventry a disservice because Derby were, were terrible and they made it easy for Coventry. Coventry just had to manage the game and they did that. I think if they were in a poor run of form or, sorry, poor, poor run of performances, then perhaps Derby would have got back into it, but... Derby just offered nothing and it just it just made it easy for Coventry. Yeah, for Derby it is a big loss, isn't it? Because they're in the midst of a very tough run of games and with no disrespect to Coventry, this looked to be their most winnable game. Well, you say no disrespect, but Wayne Rooney rested players on Tuesday against Cardiff so they were ready and fit and firing for this game and they that didn't worked. turn up. <laughs> exactly, it didn't work. And that, that level of inconsistency... For Derby starting to creep in, a lot of the issues that were there under Phil Cocker were starting to unmask themselves back into this side under Wayne Rooney. And one criticism I am going to throw Rooney's way is the lack of consistency with formations. We've seen a, a 4-4-2, a 4-2-3-1, a 3-5-2. I'm going to list a lot of formations here because we've seen a lot of them over the last six or seven games. And for me, I think that's one of the things that are impacting their performances because since they lost to Rotherham, I don't. I think they've had a, the Huddersfield game where they've shown up. I don't think they've really shown up in, in the other games. Borough was a, a poor a poor performance. Wickham was a poor performance and they've, they've picked up points in those games. Yeah, you have to, I don't say you have to worry about Derby, but it's it's concerning at this point in the season. You just call Philip Cocker Phil Cocker. I did, yeah. We're, on, we're, we're, we're mates. Did you not know this? I have... No one has ever called him Phil Cocker. But, <laughs> Why not? I mean, it's incredibly petty of me to pick up on that, but uh, <laughs> it, was just, it was just weird hearing it. <laughs> right, Justin, let's have a break. After that, we'll talk about wins for Watford and the game from Friday night between Cardiff and Huddersfield. I tell you what, there's nothing I love more than a classic football shirt. I've got loads of them. A Juventus shirt, Marseille shirt even an Antalya Sport shirt. One of the reasons I've got so many is because I can get them for a great price from ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk. They've got shirts for teams from all over the globe, and that, of course, includes championship clubs. So if you wanted a Classic Wednesday shirt, Reading shirt or Barnsley shirt, whoever you support, they'll have something for your club. It's not just shirts either. They've also got track suits, baseball caps, socks, so much stuff. Have a look for yourself. Go to ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk right now. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. On Saturday lunchtime, Watford beat Forest 1-0 thanks to a goal from Adam Messina. An unusual goal because 
Bryce Samba was kicked in the head just moments before. He's got up and then the shots ended up going through his legs, but he had quite clearly felt that whack on his head because he was holding his head when he was getting up. And I mean, he's got to raise the question, should the referee have stopped the game? I don't think the referee needed to stop the game, but we hark back to you. Remember, Paulo De Canio caught the ball when the yeah. Everton keeper was down. Maybe there should have been a bit of that creep into it, but I think they had every right to to play on. Um, I, I mean, Samba was clearly he would clearly get a clap in the head because I think he had blood um, under his nose. Mm. Um, so perhaps there could have been a bit of sportsmanship, but then again, it's the championship. Well, yeah, I, 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 don't I don't think you can hold anything against Watford, really. No, no, no. They're just playing to the referee's whistle. But if Samba had stayed down, holding his head, then the referee would have had a call to make, wouldn't he? And would probably have had to stop the game. And it would have been a completely different game entirely. Uh, Forrest were knocking on the door towards the end of it, but still didn't create too much. And in the end, it was a solid win for Watford, wasn't it? It was, and Carly pointed out, and it sort of made me think about Watford differently. He said that they play in moments, um, and he's, he's hit the nail on the head. They're, they're good in possession, they're solid defensively, but they don't ever look like they're going to go full flow attack, which is why I think we sort of pick out Ken Seymour and his made aside because they're not, they don't really look like they're ever dominating teams in games, you know, constantly running at them. But because they play in moments, they don't need to. They just keep control of the game and they did that here really well. And I thought Zinkenagel as well played very intelligently. He played a lot of um, smart balls in behind Forrest's back line. And they just Forrest couldn't just couldn't handle it. They couldn't get organised. Yeah, Zinkenagel's a winger as well, but he was playing yeah. in midfield here. I thought he played really well. Um very good at home at Watford. Only dropped points in four out of eighteen games, which is mighty impressive. They've got the best home record in the division. Uh, and as far as the race to finish in the top two is concerned, they're in the unfortunate position of their fate being in the hands of other teams, but still a good chunk of the season to go. They've got a tricky game away at Cardiff next weekend. Looks a massive game for both sides, actually. And I think the best way to sum up this performance from a Forest perspective, Justin, is underwhelming. Would you agree? I think so. You look. I, I, I always hark back to the likes of Knockhart and Luke Freeman that they're so talented, but at no point do they ever convince me that they're going to deliver for Forest. No. And Knockhart's forms declined since that last season at Brighton, really, in the Championship. And he's an expensive signing, and I expect more numbers from him. But I think it gives this game, especially, gives Hewton a lot of food for thought. It tells you a lot of issues that Forest have. It's probably stemming back to the likes of Lamoutri and Karanka in the sense that there's been a long period of time where Forest have recruited for defensively solid, favouring managers. O'Neill, Karanka, Lamoutri, you know, it goes very far back. And that's probably a big contributor's big contribute to the issues that they have now because in terms of wingers that they've signed Joe Lolly's the only one that's delivered and that's over the last sort of three or four years which I think that's where the issues as I say are sort of underlying themselves because Forest just don't have enough going forward Cardiff hit a stumbling block in the race for the playoffs after drawing 0-0 with Huddersfield on Friday night considering the form of these two sides the result is perhaps a surprise an even bigger surprise is that Huddersfield really should have won it, shouldn't they? They should have. and the, I mean, the penalty miss, for example, is just criminal. It's, yeah. a, it's a it's a guy who's not played for a, a while, I'd say, and he's coming he's, in for his first start. Yeah, he got released by Toulouse last summer, I think, and hasn't played football in all that time, but he's gone straight to the side here. So, Yaya Sonogo missed a penalty, so no goal for Sonogo. 
Makes yeah, sense. he's. I mean, it's a good job for Huddersfield didn't go on to lose. God, <laughs> our puns are getting worse, Justin. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, but it's. I mean, I don't know why Fraser Campbell didn't take it. Uh, I know he's missed a couple recently, but I mean, there are plenty of positives here for Huddersfield. It's they went fourteen games without a clean sheet before this, so to get the, the to get the clean sheet certainly takes the pressure off the back line. But from their perspective, you will be wondering why they how they didn't win it. Yeah, with the exception of the win against Swansea, this was Huddersfield's best performance in a while. So a massive point for them and also signs of encouragement for Carlos Corbra. And as you say, defensively, they have been awful recently. So the fact they managed to get a clean sheet against one of the most informed teams in the championship is a massive positive, isn't it? I think, Cardiff, we could never expect them to keep producing these marvellous performances game after game after game. There's always going to be a point where that stops. It's just about how they respond afterwards because they've got some tough games coming up. The final one of the teams in the playoff race is Bournemouth, who drew one all with Preston. What did you make of this game, Justin? I thought Bournemouth were incredibly wasteful with their chances. It wasn't until it was another Preston error at the back line that sort of let them in. But as I say, a team with that amount of talent going forward... They were just far too wasteful for me, which is the reason why I think they're going to get edged out of the playoffs because they don't score frequently enough. The funny thing is about this game is earlier in the season, these two sides met and without fans in the ground, you can obviously hear what players are saying. And uh, Ben Pearson, playing for Preston at the time, he was heard saying about Steve Cook, let him have the ball, he's shit. <laughs> oh my God, yeah. Fast forward to now, Ben Pearson's playing for Bournemouth against his former side. Who cocks up to let Preston score? Steve Cook. <laughs> Superb, I love that. Um, I I think this is a poor result for Bournemouth. I mean that with no disrespect to Preston, but they've only won three games this calendar year. If you're Jonathan Mudgate, this is a game you should be winning. They probably had the better chances, but only just. Believe it or not, but Jonathan Mudgate's been in charge for a month now. And I think I'm yet to see a convincing performance from Bournemouth in that time. I understand he's had to come in and take over at a club which has lost four in a row just before he came in, and he's managed to turn results around to some extent. But with the players they've got, they should be smashing teams. Their second eleven would finish in the top half of the Championship, and they've got a first team of players who should probably be in the Premier League. I mean, some of them, like Lewis Cook and Dan Juma, would fit into mid-table Premier League teams. So why are they playing Championship games and looking so average? Is it poor management, or has something happened behind the scenes? I think it's got to be one or the other. Right now, it seems like there are two playoff places left for four teams. Them, Reading, Barnsley and Cardiff. And if they need, if they want to finish in there, they've got to play a lot better, haven't they? They do. They do. And as I said, they, they, just, they were so wasteful in this game. And as, as, as you say, it's, it's something that's been continuing for probably preceded Jonathan Woodgate, to be honest, in how wasteful they've been. Dominic Solanke, up until Christmas, looked sharp. Dan Juma, I know he picked up an injury, but still I'm seeing flits and starts from him. I'm not seeing it on a consistent basis. There needs to be more from this Bournemouth team because the amount of money that's in the squad is is ridiculous. They need to deliver. Mm. Going back to the game, Preston were good. Ben White in the midfield looks a handy player already. Anything else you picked up from a Preston point of view? Yeah, why are they so weak defending a long ball into space? <laughs> There's no reason why Solanke should get that. The, the defenders, it's, I mean, it's two in a week. I can count three other uh, scenarios where this has happened. 
this is pub league stuff. It's not. It's not good enough. It's again. It seems critical, but defensively, you've got to be better in those situations. Stoke ended a run of three straight defeats by beating Wickham two nil. Fairly straightforward, really, for Michael O'Neill's men. In fact, this game came at the perfect time, really, didn't it? Because they needed a win from somewhere. Yeah, I thought Stoke looked really good. They were really fluid going forward. Plenty of crosses into the box. Nick Powell looked good. Jack Clark. Uh, proved us wrong after I criticised him in the week. I say proved us wrong, proved me wrong. Yeah, well, it's, it's only one game just in against Wickham. I won't get too carried away. Yeah, but he's got to deliver and he's delivered. Uh, it's only you've got to take it one game at a time, is to, to quote Jonathan Woodgate. Um, but he looked really sharp on the left hand side. And I think the only criticism you give Stoke on the day is they should have been much more comfortable by the time Norrington Davis put his shot in. Unfortunately, their playoff hopes are kind of bent over wheezing at this point aren't they nine points <laughs> off the top six if there's one thing you can say in their favor it's that they've not got to play any of the sides in the top six again this season but 11 games left a nine point gap they'd have to go on a big winning run won't they and they've not really been that consistent since probably october so can it be done have probably they been that season? consistent all season you could argue yeah, that, again, that's true. So if they play as fluid as this every game, then they've got a chance. But realistically, are we going to see that from the Stoke side? Probably not this season. No. Remember a couple of weeks ago when you were speculating that Wickham aren't necessarily down and out yet? Yeah, well, they are now, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> Three straight losses. It's They're in League One now, aren't they, pretty much? Yeah, yeah. You've been very harsh with Wickham this season. I don't think you've loved them as much as I have. And I think that I think that's unfair. I've said plenty of times that even though, if you look at the table, Wickham look like the whipping boys of the division. I don't think they necessarily have because they've more than matched up to plenty of teams in games this season, haven't they? Um, it's just results haven't necessarily gone their way at times. And they've also had quite a few refereeing decisions go against them on many an occasion. So I think they have been unlucky. I don't think they particularly deserve to stay up. But I think no. the um, points gap between them and the rest of the teams who are staying up, I think is perhaps a bit unfair. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think based on performances, you'd, you'd hope that they were a little bit closer to even Rotherham. But alas, they're not. They're nine points away from them and that's unfortunately the standard that they've set themselves they've had positives haven't they plenty of positives from across the the uh, course of the season uh, QPR go back to winning ways by beating Bristol City 2-0 a surprisingly comfortable win for Rangers it was and there have been a lot of close games in the, in the last few weeks you know where they had that run of form as well there was a lot of close games so this was as convincing as it as it probably was or has been for QPR for a while to go 2 0 up as well in the opening 25 minutes. They started really well, and that's what you've got to do against a team like Bristol City, who they concede a lot of chances. But if you get a goal against them early, then I think you're more than likely to win. Yeah, Elias Chair scored a header for anyone who isn't aware, he's five foot two, which is a. <laughs> um, miraculous. I, I do look at QPR, and I think they could be quite good next season. Because the squad of players they've got right now is actually pretty decent. They're a lot more solid at the back than they have been over the past couple of seasons, particularly with Rob Dickey, who has been fantastic this season, probably one of the most underrated defenders in the division. 
Stephanie Johansson's Stephanie Johansson, sorry, has provided some experience in midfield. He's been a clever bit of business. Then going forwards, Charlie Austin has been a revelation. And then in our, Elias Chair, they've got one of the best creative players in the league. It, he needs to be a bit more consistent, but if he sorts that out, then QPR have got a real player. In the summer, if they manage to keep hold of some of the lone players they've got, bring in a couple of wide players, that's a pretty decent side and could be one to watch next season. Uh, Bristol City, though, their new manager bounces falling a bit flat two straight losses and they were quite poor here weren't they yeah that's literally what I've wrote down the, the new manager bounces has worn off it, they had one shot on target and they conceded five themselves it's it's the same old same old really and yeah there's clearly a lot, a lot of work that he's doing at Ashton Gate and you've seen the standards Pearson's wanting because obviously going 2-0 down isn't ideal in the first in the opening 25 but he took Backington off because he wasn't happy with him so you can see Pearson's trying to set a standard. Obviously, they had a couple of injuries as well that meant that he needs to make a couple more subs in the first half. But yeah, there's a lot of work that he's doing. I don't think they're going to be in a relegation battle. No, oh, I think there's. Yeah. I think there are a few wins they had when Pearson first came in, sort of distance those potentials. But you can see there's so much that he's doing there. Yeah, uh, not long ago, Nigel Pearson was being praised as a god, pretty much in Bristol. But uh, now. There are some who are saying they don't want him next season because obviously he's only got a contract till the end of the season. So it'll be interesting to see if he can turn that around because he said publicly that he wants the job. Five straight losses at home as well. They did have one of the better home records in the league until this run where they've just fallen apart at BS3. And finally, Blackburn beat Millwall 2-0 thanks to two very fluky goals. First one deflected, keeper goes the wrong way. It happens. Second one is also deflected, but it basically hits Sam Gallagher in the gut and goes in, makes a change, because Blackburn haven't had much luck recently, have they? They haven't, but can we just loud on Bradley Dack's turn for his goal? It was just ridiculous. And he's just come back from an ACL injury as well, and I I had a knee injury, and I, I wouldn't even hop and skip, let alone twist like that. So credit to his rehab, it's, it's put him in a good spot, and I thought the, the turn was brilliant, and I actually thought Blackburn played a lot better than they have been all, uh, for, well, last third of the season I'd say yeah well Adam Armstrong wasn't in the squad for this game but he was missing missing with a hamstring problem but many Rovers fans are linking the results and the lack of arms lack of Armstrong I'm guessing you'd agree considering some of the things you've said about him recently I'm not anti Adam Armstrong but sometimes when you take a goal scorer out who I wouldn't say is selfish but perhaps ambitious as scoring goals ambitious is a better word for selfish I think I know I um, think I think you can say selfish uh, strikers are meant to be selfish aren't they and when you look at the number of shots he's had this season, yeah. Yeah. quite often from ridiculous distances at times, mm-hmm. then I think you could definitely say he's probably one of the most selfish strikers in the league. But you, you want your strikers to be selfish because you want him to that, score goals. That's what strikers want you to think. That's why they push that narrative. But I like my strikers being unselfish and that I like them squaring passes across the box. I like them shooting and it hitting other strikers in their gut and it going in. That's what I want my strikers to do, and Blackburn did that, and it got them a win. It absolutely did. Unfortunately, time is running out for Millwall to get the draw record, Justin. So the most draws in the season is 22. They're on 16. 11 games left, so they've got to draw more than half their games. So come on, Gary, just part the bus. Quick maths problem here, not problem, solution. I mean, they've got 16 draws already. That's one in two. So they're still on for it. Yeah, they're still on for it. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. I'm always keeping the faith with Gary Rowett's mobile. Right now, it's time for this. 
Yes, it's time for the news. Plenty going on this week, Justin. We'll start off with Darren Moore, who's been appointed the new boss at Wednesday. He was in charge at Doncaster previously. As usual, we spoke about it in midweek. You can find out our thoughts in Thursday's episode. Neil Warnock has agreed to manage Borough again next season. Good news, really, isn't it? Because he's done a good job. Well, also good news for us because it's another year of Warnock. Do you know who it is bad news for? The rest of the championship? The, well, and referees. Um, oh. But Kevin Blackwell and his kitchen. There was a lot of people pushing this uh, and commenting, and I, even I did. What's happened to Kevin Blackwell's kitchen? I, that's what I actually want to know. I don't care about Neil Warnock signing a new contract. What's happened to the kitchen? He's just got one of those like portable barbecues and just <laughs> just using that to cook everything. <laughs> um, if Middlesbrough had a goal scorer, then this season would have been completely different for them, wouldn't it? So the fact that Neil Warnock's got them challenging for the playoffs, admittedly, it looks unlikely now. But the fact that he's managed to turn that around after last season, marvellous job uh, that Warnock's done. Um, Mick McCarthy has signed a two-year deal at Cardiff. I mean, he was getting to the point, really, where they had to give <laughs> had to give him the job, didn't they? Yeah, if they didn't, they'd be the cruelest people in the world, yeah. They'd, again, similar to, to Warnock, really, but on a much smaller time frame, the job McCarthy's doing... He's got the best out of a squad that we knew. We knew the quality was there. All he had to do was just get it out with them, and he's done that. And look where they are; they're exactly where they should be. Yeah, well, they're, they're, it's a top six squad, isn't it? Maybe, even, yeah. maybe even higher than that, really. And um, when you take a step back for a second, it is madness that he wasn't given a job sooner. I mean, he left Ipswich in 2018, and I know he had a spell in charge of Ireland, but in the gaps around that, there wasn't seemingly a line of clubs trying to get him. And we're talking about one of the most experienced managers at this level um, who knows what it's like to get promoted. Why aren't clubs just throwing money at him? I mean, fair play to Card if they're reaping the awards for it now. And he's fully deserved this contract extension. Even if they don't go up this season, you can't help but feel positive about what Cardiff could do next season. Yeah, it's, Mick McCarthy for me is one of the, the best championship managers ever. And I think... <laughs> Badly labelled a long, a long ball manager because of his sin at Ipswich, mainly because the, the the resources he had at Ipswich were nothing. But he had a top, he made them a top ten team, and now look at them. But just a quick comment on McCarthy: what a year he's had. A, a paid holiday in Cyprus. <laughs> he's got back into football, and he might be in the playoffs. And as well as that, he's put the foundations in, in place for a good island side. Yeah, it's been a good year for, for Mick McCarthy. Yeah, it's been a tough year for everyone else, but Big Mick is having the time yeah. of his life. Yeah. Um, now, could Coventry be returning to the Rico Arena? The BBC says a 10-year deal has been agreed between the Sky Blues and the stadium's owners, Wasps. It's reportedly set to be announced in the next week. Good news, Justin. It is great news. Uh, I wonder what that does for Coventry's plans for their ground uh, is it, it's at the University of Warwickshire, isn't it? Yeah, well, that's one of the big questions that will hopefully be announced with the um, when when the announcement is made, and hopefully we'll yeah. find out a bit more clarity on that because a ten year deal, obviously that that's a long time. Um, so <laughs> w- that's one of the things many Coventry fans have been asking: what does this mean for the new stadium? But hopefully, it gets um answered in the coming days Derby will no longer be taking the knee before games the club said the decision has been made because the symbolic gesture of taking a knee is not enough it comes after Colin Kazim Richards was racially abused after the Forest game last week the only thing I can add to this Justin is how depressing it is that once again we're talking about a player being racially abused uh, racially abused online because 
The statement Derby made explaining why they didn't want to take the knee anymore was entirely fair. And uh, Liam Rossinia, Derby's assistant manager, was saying recently that the government's got to do more. I think he's right. The issue is too big for football to resolve. For me, it's down to, A, social media companies doing more to ban those who send abuse online, and B, the government to make sure there's tougher punishment for those who do it. It's a big issue that's not going to be resolved, whether teams are taking the knee or not. And we've seen, you know, QPR and what have you. They've also done similar to Derby. Um, Rotherham's next two games have been postponed because of a coronavirus outbreak at the club. Not the first time Rotherham have, have had games postponed this season. They're... they're Fixtures are really piling up. I'm not sure if that's going to become an issue towards uh, the end of the season, considering we're coming towards the end of it now. Transfer news, Justin. Sky Sports say Reading left-back Omar Richards has agreed a deal to join Bayern Munich at the end of the season. He's out of contract at the Royals. We've spoken about this move plenty of times over the past couple of months, but it's it's still weird to hear. Is it? I, I mean, I, I I'm fully behind EFL talent going to big Champions League winning oh, I mean, hang on hang on, hang on. Of, of course I am I, I'm <laughs> always going to be a fan of that but it's just weird that Omar Richards he wasn't even Reading's first choice left back last season and he's 23 now I think so he, it's not like he's a teenager so that, that's the only reason why I say it's weird um, interesting to see how it works out long term whether he does play much for Bayern but well he's going to be behind Alfonso Davis, who at the current moment is probably the best left back in the world so he's he's not going to be a guaranteed starter I don't yeah think. well but if Davies moved up to left wing or if Davies moved on Richards might get a chance I mean who knows yeah. um, Watford have signed former Villa midfielder Carlos Sanchez love seeing him because mainly because of his hair I love his I hair f- I thought he was still at West Ham. I had no idea he was on a free transfer. He's one of them that you can quite easily forget about. He's had a good yeah. career, hasn't he? It was, uh, he's done well. Yeah. I, I don't know how many caps he's got for Colombia, but he's got he's got quite a few. He's part of a, that brilliant Colombia side. And finally, Justin, has Derby's takeover been complete yet? It hasn't been completed, no. I, I thought you were going to say it has then. I missed something. <laughs> uh, right, let's do the polls. So this is the part of the show where on Twitter we give you three questions which we want to get your thoughts on. Uh, first one is fairly obvious. Are Sheffield Wednesday going down? Yes or no? Y- yes. Here, here's a better question. How many people do you reckon said no? It's three. Um, 9% said no. So three people. Um what would you rather have? VAR in the championship or stick with bad referees? I, I, I've pushed the VAR narrative for a long time. Yes, I want VAR. 62% of people would rather stick with bad referees. Well, stop moaning then. <laughs> I, I, I'm surprised about that. I really am because I, I, we're getting into a deep conversation here. Just in, yeah. let's, not, let's yeah. not open up that can of worms. And finally, goal music. Yes or no? Uh, mm, I grew up with it at Derby and I liked it but in my grumpy adult years I've started to disdain it so no I'm, I'm not sure why they're still doing it in empty stadiums it doesn't really make much sense to me but it the, only, the only ground, the other day yeah the only ground it's acceptable at is at Norwich because they've pushed the same tune for the last 15 years and it's they, great yeah they don't mess around <laughs> whenever there's a goal and obviously Norwich score quite a few goals we just hear that every single time and uh, yeah oh I didn't actually give the result of the polls did they uh, 59% said no 
41% said yes. So there you go. Right, now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. So this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show, Jacob Robinson from Canary Cast and Carlo Vanderwaltering from the Barnsley Podcast Reds Report. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject. And all they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So for example, if I would say name the eight clubs Tom Ince has played for and Justin would say Derby, that's one down. And Carlo would say Blackpool, that's another down. But if Jacob would say Inter Milan, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, gents, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. So it's a bit of a different one this week. Did you know that since 2003, eight of the current championship teams have been in the fourth tier of English football? Can you name them? So we shall begin with Justin. You're shaking your head, so I'm guessing you're not too confident. I'm trying to remember, but I, I can't. I'll go with the easy one and I'll go with Luton. I say it's the easy one, but no, it's not going to be an easy one. No, that is easy. They've been, they're in the league two, three years ago. So, uh, yeah, no, I'll, I'll count that as the easy one. Uh, Jacob, we'll go to you next. Am I wrong in saying Brentford? Have they dropped down that far? No, they were most recently in League Two in 2009. So you are absolutely right. So, Carlo, can you name me a current championship team? who has been in the fourth tier of English football since 2003. Well, it was nice speaking to you all again before I go. <laughs> um, I, I, I have to go for Wickham. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They got promoted from League Two the same season as Luton in 2018. So you've got three so far. You've got five more to go. Justin, back to you. A lot of FM saves with Rotherham when they're in League Two, so I'll go there. Yep, they're in League 2 in 2013, so you've got four more, you're halfway through. Jacob, back to you. Um, Coventry? Yeah, they were promoted the same season as Luton as well in 2018. A lot of teams down there in the same season as Luton. Uh, Carlo, it's back to you, you've got three left. Mm. Now now it's a bit tricky. Yeah. You could probably just have a guess and be not far off. So right, take your time. Don't worry, Val. I'm going to <laughs> <laughs> the ones that I, the ones I thought have all been have all been guessed. I, 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 nah, it won't be, but I'll go Huddersfield. You're actually right. Huddersfield oh. were in Division Three back in 2004. Uh, they are the least recent of the teams in this list. So you've got two left, Justin. It's your go again. The the famous Eddie Howe comeback for Bournemouth. Yeah, they were most recently in League Two in 2010, which seems weird because it seems like they've been in the Premier League for ages. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Uh, Right, well, you've only got one left and there's three of you still in. So I'm thinking you should get this, although you've all got very confused faces on. So I'm not sure if you will. Jacob, it's your go. I think it's just coming to my head and I don't know why it's done that. I think I'm thinking of Bournemouth and I'm surprised that they're in League Two. Is it Swansea? It is Swansea. They were in League Two in 2005. Nearly got relegated, of course, a couple of seasons before. So there you go. You all looked a bit confused at the very start, but you managed to get there in the Easy. end. It's completely, completely unscathed. It was fine, guys. Well done. So you've completed Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Carlo, how do you feel? Yes, um, this is as good as winning eight in a row for me, this. Normally I'm out to the first question. So this week it was fantastic. Jacob, you're getting used to winning at the moment. 
I was going to say, I've taken the words out of my mouth. Winning this, winning the league, winning everything. <laughs> next year. All right, don't post about it. <laughs> can only go down from here. I, I, I've got to remind you, I've got a Derby fan with us, so it's it's not all rosy, I'm afraid. <laughs> it's just nice getting the win somewhere. So. <laughs> right, well, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. Just a quick one. We're doing a competition on our Twitter with our friends at Six Yards Out. They do mugs and coasters and they've got loads for different championship teams they're giving away a free mug and coaster go to our twitter at second tier pod to find all the details on how to get involved in that of course we'll have a new episode on thursday to talk through the midweek games in the championship not as many fixtures as we usually have but we'll have a look ahead to the big games coming up next weekend as well so we look forward to seeing you then but for now a big thanks to our guests on the show today jacob robinson from the norwich podcast canary cast thank you for your time Thank you very much. And Carlo Vanderwatering from the Barnsley Podcast Reds Report. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you both on. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll, of course, be back again on Thursday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Jason Beach. Thank you for listening. 